you have your Bibles, please open them up. We're ready for Revelation chapter 11 today. Second half. I want to catch us up to date a little bit. And again, you know, I'll just say, as we go through the book of Revelation, um, for some folks, if, if you're just stepping in right now, and I, again, I know some, we get new folks each week that come and visit, and it's a little bit difficult to jump into a Bible study like this midstream. So I, I just want to give us all, and this is good for us all, a little bit of a reminder. And we have a little saying that we've been using through the book of Revelation because um, for many years the book of Revelation was thought to be something that we couldn't understand. And there's so much stuff in it that can be allegory or metaphor. And, um, and so the easy solution over the years has just been to um, ignore it or just say, I, I don't, we, we're not supposed to understand it or we don't. The Reformers came and the Reformers did so much, you know, the John Calvins and Martin Luthers and the different, but they, they didn't understand the book of Revelation. Martin Luther wrote a, wrote a commentary on, on most of the New Testament and excluded Revelation, and he said it's just not to be understood. But they, they just didn't have the furniture in the 14, 15, 1600s that we have today as we see the day approaching. So um, we, we don't have that attitude here. The book of Revelation, we say, guys, we say the book of Revelation is not a what? Hard book to understand. As a matter of fact, it's the only book in your Bible that comes with its own divine outline. You find that in chapter 1, verse... 19 and it says write the things which you have seen the things which are and the things which will take place after this so we get this really simple outline of book of revelation which is past present and future so revelation chapter one is okay revelation chapter two and three is present revelation six through 19 is actually all of revelation after six is future but revelation six through 19 is is specifically the seven-year tribulation period. So chapters 2 and 3 is the church age. And Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, and they're report cards, and we grow so much. Revelation 2 and 3 is power-packed for us because that's where we live today in Revelation um, chapters 2 and 3. And then um, in Revelation 4, you have this scene where where God says, come up here. And that's the rapture talked about in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians and other places in the Bible where the church is removed. And then in chapter 5, you have this scene in heaven. And the people that are in heaven are are singing a song that they've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. What group is redeemed by the blood of Jesus? The church. And so the church is definitely 100% in this scene in Revelation 5. And one of the things that you need to understand about the eschatology and the timing of, of rapture and, and what the Bible clearly says that, that we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will bring you again to myself. And over and over again, hundreds of times in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus is coming back and references that we're going to go and be with him. And so, you know, everybody kind of agrees on that. And you have different scholars and they, they see the timing of it a little different. Now, listen, we don't need to split hairs over the timing. You guys know where we land and why we land there. But in Revelation 4, um, you see this, this event that's, that's the rapture. And then the Bible says that you and I are not appointed to wrath. And, and, and again, we all have to deal with that. And as you get into Revelation 6, where the great tribulation begins, immediately it becomes God's wrath. The first, the first um, thing that happens chronologically in that seven-year period of human history is the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride. And by the time they're done, a third of the population on planet Earth has been expired. And then Revelation 6 through 19 is where we are today. So just know this, and I always kind of put these um, parentheses around where we are. 
we're going to be studying. We have for a couple weeks. We'll be here for a few more weeks until we get to Revelation 19 or 20. But we're, we're studying a seven-year period of human history that's yet future. It happens after the rapture, meaning that, that we won't be here. The church will not remain during these disasters, during this wrath of God that will be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. We're going to see here in chapter 11 and 12 where God again is going to say that it's his great wrath. And, and so we, we have, and, and again, be very familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, no matter where you land on the timing of the rapture, we all have to wrestle with that very verse that the church will not be appointed to wrath. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. And, and so sometimes people say, well, Jesus said we'll have tribulation. Yes, we will have tribulation. You know, so, some places you go and the, the doctrine of the gospel is God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And we all love that. That's great. And, and, and not that God doesn't want you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy and, and won't do those things for you, but that's not God's perfect will for his people. It, that's not that, because the, it's being taught like if you're not happy, healthy, and wealthy, then something is wrong in your life and you don't have enough faith and you're missing something. And, and, it, and this gospel that's being preached this way, it breaks people's their, their, their faith and it hurts them because they're like you and I. They have real problems in real life. And, and how come they're not happy, healthy, and wealthy? When I tell you, because that's not God's will. That's not God's plan. If God's plan was to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy, he sure did a bad job. Because not one person in all of the Bible or in this room is perfectly happy, healthy, and wealthy. And Jesus said, you will go through tribulation. Any of you guys want to be an example for the rest of the world like Job? Anybody want to sign up for that gig? Lord, I just want to do work for you, and I just want to help the world, and I just want people to make my life an example, Lord. Just kill all my children and destroy my house and all my animals and make life so terrible for me that I sit in ashes and scrape the boils. <laughs> Nobody wants that gig, right? Okay, well, Job had to go through that, and he went through that, and, and he came through the other side, and God is still good, but he wasn't happy, healthy, and wealthy, and yeah, he, he became, and he was and became, and God blessed his life, and, but, but we're going to face trials. We're going to face hard things. We're going to face things, and if you don't prepare yourself that, that God is still with you, then, then you're going to struggle in those times. You know, as you witness, as you share the gospel with people, I want to tell you something, that people will identify more with your struggles than they will with your strengths. You know, and sometimes, and, and, and in the church especially, oftentimes, you know, the pastor feels like he's got to put on this front that, that he's got it all figured out and, and he doesn't have any struggles and any problems in order to be the pastor, but people don't identify with that. And it's not true anyways, it's fake. You know, I come and tell you I'm broken just like you are. I struggle in, in areas and sins and I, I got to stay close to Jesus and I got to stay in the fight and... And life is difficult at times. You can identify with that because that's real life. But that's, that is true. You know, I, 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 if you guys watch some of these guys on TV, you know, God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. I'll make the sign of the cross and throw some holy water on you because you're going to need it. But some of this stuff on TV, you know, I watch it from time to time. I flip through and as long as I can stomach it, I'll watch it for a few minutes. And usually I watch it to see how long they ask for money. And it's usually within the first 30 seconds. And, you know, but the pastors are like, you know, they, they, they're like, oh, yeah, I was... I got on the elevator yesterday, and the Lord said to me, Douglas, and I said, yes, Lord. And he said, Douglas, I want to tell you something. I said, Lord, what do you want to tell me? And, you know, and they go on and on like this. And I'm like, 
that, that's fine, but listen, what, what happens to you? Last time you got in an elevator, did the Lord speak to any of you that way? What's wrong with you guys? You mean God doesn't speak to you like that? You guys must not have enough faith. And, and, and unfortunately, that's, that's what's created, right? If, if, we, if, we, if we pretend that, if we, if, if we say God does certain things to us and we have to pretend that we're, we're somebody we're not in order to lead or impress, unfortunately what happens is then the rest of us just feel like, well, God doesn't speak to me that way. God doesn't talk to me like he talks to a man. And, and, and we, we get discouraged. And so, listen, God, God um, allows us to go through things in this life, some hard things, okay? Now, now, let me fast forward a little bit. When we get to where we are, and as we go through Revelation, where we are, we're gone. We're not here, okay? I'm careful, right? I'm not... You can have another opinion. Let me put it that way. I didn't want to say I'm not dogmatic because my own theology, I am dogmatic about it. But you can have your own opinion. And, and whoever's right or wrong doesn't matter, right? Are we still brothers and sisters in Christ? Are, are we still going to walk on the same streets of gold? Whether we had this one figured out or not, it doesn't matter, right? It's not an area to divide us. So never let it divide us. And don't ever believe what I say. I want to be very careful with that all the way through this, this church, right? Like my job is to teach you and I'm supposed to teach and I'm going to be responsible for what I teach and what I do. And, and I have an integrity. I'll tell you what I teach. I believe it. And I don't teach it because my pastor taught it. I believe it because I've studied it and I checked it out for myself and it's where I land. But at the end of the day, I might land in the wrong place. And, and when you stand before God or, or something that affects your life, you're responsible to get in the Word of God for yourself is what the Bible says. You're to be a student of the Word of God. Be in the Word of God every day. You know, I'm here to help you. There's others that are here to help you. They've been doing it longer, and that's fine. But you be in the Word. You check these things. You see if they're true. You see if they're real. Amen? Amen. And then as we get in where we are. So since we left Revelation 6 all the way again to chapter 20, we're studying a period of time where the church has been removed and God is pouring out His wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. That seven-year period is called the tribulation period. Or in the, specifically, it's called the tribulation period in the first three and a half years and the great tribulation in the second three and a half years. Actually, it's called many things in the Bible. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called the great and awesome day of the Lord. But all, most of those, all of those are Israel because it's dealing with the nation of Israel. Amen? All right, Revelation chapter 11 um, we left off last week, and I think about verse 13, 14, I think I covered. But I just kind of read through that last part. So I want to start back and just go through it. These are the two witnesses of Revelation. I identified them last week, in my opinion, as Moses and Elijah. And we walked through that last week about who these guys could be, why they are them. Again, Elijah is pretty um, clear um, that it's Elijah. The Bible gives us a lot of clues and basically just says that one of these two guys is going to be Elijah. The other one, which I, I believe to be Moses, could be Enoch. It could be <coughs> a number of other people in the Bible that, that there's some, some good cases for. And again, it doesn't matter. And the way we translated it last week was we said, you remember, we don't want to get lost so much in arguing about who these two are because we don't know. But what they're doing and what their ministry is, is also a ministry that we share. Do you remember what their ministry is and what we share in that from last week? Is that we're all called to be witnesses. That we're given this power, and I, I used a little illustration to get your attention last week. Power from the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But don't get it twisted, right? Because the power is not, it's not to, the power is to make you a witness. The power is to make you effective at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that you love. 
with those that God has called you to make a difference in your life. And so that's what the Holy Spirit power does. And that word is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite, which means there is a power of the Holy Spirit, but, but not to be manifested in, 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 in weird ways or funny ways. That power manifests itself in making you effective in sharing the gospel and giving you things. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say. In that very hour, I'll give you the word. Just show up and be faithful. We're going to read next week in Revelation chapter 12, and it's going to say that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, nor did they love their lives even to the death. And, and that by your testimony, you can be a witness for Jesus Christ by sharing your testimony. You don't need to know a bunch of Bible verses, and you don't need to be a scholar. You can simply say what God has done in your life that's made a difference, and, and how God changed you, and how God saved you, and that's effective in, in always being a witness for Jesus. So these two witnesses are there. And it says in verse 7, chapter 11, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of that great city, spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where was our Lord crucified? In Jerusalem. And so here we're here in Jerusalem, where the, where the temple is. Now, be reminded, I showed you guys pictures last week of the temple, of the possible rebuild. Now, one of the things that has to happen to fulfill biblical prophecy is that there has to be a temple in Israel on the Temple Mount. It is necessary. So again, if you have friends that believe that we go into the tribulation or a mid-tribulation rapture, one of the key things is you can always say, until there's a temple, we're not in the tribulation period. And, and until there's a beast, because the Antichrist is the one who signs the treaty with Israel in order to build that temple. And so there has to be an Antichrist. There has to be a temple in order for us to be in the tribulation. And so no temple in Israel, no dice. It has to be there. The two witnesses we, we identified last week, that these two witnesses are doing their ministry in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And then what we're going to see, let's look at verse number um, 10. I'm sorry, verse 9. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. So this beast that came out of the bottomless pit, we studied him um, back in chapters 9 and 10, who this beast was that came out of the bottomless pit. One of the trumpet judgments of God was that God is going to um, give the keys to an angel, it says, and he's going to go to the bottomless pit and, and reserve um, for this time in human history our, our, our special demons, our demons that are the worst type of demons. They're so bad that for all of history, God won't allow them on planet Earth. Many people believe, and there's a good case, that those demons are the same ones from Genesis chapter 6 who left the bounds that God put over them and um, intermarried with the women, the, the daughters of men and had an offspring in Genesis chapter 6 and that they were so bad and that they left the borders that God put for him that he locked them into that abuso and during the tribulation period they're let out and, and the king of them um, wars against these two witnesses. Elijah and Moses and for three and a half years God protects them and for three and a half years what do they do these two witnesses standing in Jerusalem they witness and they protect themselves they call down um, fire from heaven they, they they can call any kind of plagues they want to protect themselves and they're there witnessing for three and a half years what do you think you know people are getting saved during that time the Bible says there's an angel flying through the um, the, the heavens proclaiming the everlasting gospel during this time do you remember what else is going on evangelistically during this time in the book of Revelation? 
There's 144,000 evangelists, Jews from 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that God seals with a seal on their forehead, and they're out sharing the gospel. And so the, the, the gospel is going out, and people are getting saved during the tribulation because God is still not done. His grace is still moving forward. And yet there's, there's, there's this, this phrase that you find all the way through the book of Revelation. It says, and yet they did not repent, and yet they did not repent, and yet they did not repent. And so the hardness of hearts of the, of the people who have hardened their hearts against God. But these two witnesses are there. They're telling the truth. They're defending themselves. They're doing this thing, this war, and they're killed. In verse 11, it says, and now after, finally, after three and a half um, days, the breath of life of God enters them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on all those who saw them. The culture, the custom in Israel, the burial custom, is that when you die in Israel, they bury you the next day, immediately. You go into the ground. They don't embalm bodies in Israel. They put you into a tomb, and it happens immediately. And, and these, these two um, witnesses who die here, they, they leave their dead bodies in, on the ground, and they celebrate. It's the only time in the book of Revelation where the world is celebrating. There's some celebrations and some victories that are taking place in heaven in the book of Revelation, but this is the only time recorded where the world is celebrating. And for three and a half years, these two witnesses there in Jerusalem are going to give the world heck. And they're going to defend themselves. And they're going to call down fire from heaven. And so they're so elated when they finally have these victory. And these two guys are dead that they, they, they disrespect them and leave their dead bodies lying in the streets. All the news cameras of the world are there. We know that these prophecies, right, can be fulfilled in our lifetime. If you're reading the Bible, which your Bible was the same as it is sitting in your lap today in 1800 and 1500. And, and during those days, you would say it says that their dead bodies would be seen around the world. You'd have a hard time understanding that. If, if two guys are dead in Jerusalem, how, how do I get the news of that in Kansas in 1800? It's going to be a minute, right? But here it says the whole world will see their dead bodies. Well, for us, that's just, you know, think about it. It just makes sense that, that we'll, we'll turn on the TV and we'll see anywhere in the world. And so the news cameras will be there and they'll celebrate. And then what, what do you think the scene is going to look like? Put yourself there. Okay, a lot of ominous stuff going on. We've already had, you know, we've, you, you've been with me for the last couple of months we've seen what's going on in the world and the death and the and just all the stuff and then these two witnesses laying dead in the street and you're so excited oh not us right they're so excited and they're partying they're giving gifts to each other and then these two guys stand up <laughs> like what you talking about willis like what whoa you know i'm sure the shock like party's over right like you know and and maybe who knows if if they were calling down fire and, and plagues and all these things in the first three and a half years, when these two guys stood up, but thankfully that the Lord brought them home at that time for them, I guess. And it says in verse 12, and it says, And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, somebody, one more time, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, praise God. You guys want to hear that? It's going to sound something like, um, in the trumpet call of God as the Lord blows that trumpet and we go up. And so same phrase is used here in Revelation chapter 4 in verse 1 in um, the rapture verse where we see the rapture in the book of Revelation. In chapter 4 verse 1 it says, come up here and they were caught up. The same kind of thing where these two guys are caught up. Same idea in Jesus in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples saw him go up. He was caught up um, into heaven. And so it says, come up here. And they ascend to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies saw them. So now, um, again, I, I, I can't be dogmatic on the timing of where we are, but I want to kind of put a pin here just so we can, um, 
you know, have some things to, to work, out, work from. But it, it, to me, it seems like this would mark the three and a half year point of the tribulation period because it's very timed as you get into those seven year human history. And the, it says that these two witnesses are prophesying for three and a half years. And, and then after this, the abomination of desolation is going to take place where the Antichrist is going to go into the temple and he's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to set up the mark of the beast, the image. He's going to demand that people worship it. He's going to cut off their heads if they won't worship it. And so, um, and, and it says that he's going to have that power and that the Jews at that point, it says they're going to flee, but they're going to flee for three and a half years. And so those things are very specific in time. So what, what kind of... I see playing out here is the two witnesses are in front of the temple in Jerusalem for three and a half years. And they have lots of power that's, in, that's given them from God like the Old Testament um, prophets had. And if these guys, in fact, are two Old Testament prophets, it all fits. And so they're there. And, and then when they die and then they're taken up, it, it's, like, it's like this perfect window of opportunity. And at this point, um, the Antichrist will go into the temple when the witnesses have been removed and he will declare himself to be God and do those things we're going to read about in chapter 13. Now, last week, again, I started to tell you guys, we, we looked at the temple and the concept of a temple. And really, the entire message last week was that we don't have temples here today. We, the, the church, the Christian church, we don't need temples. There's no temple. There's been no temple in Israel since A.D. 70, when Titus Vespasian and the Roman army destroyed it. And, and, and even Judaism, within Judaism, they have a huge problem, because according to their belief system, you need a temple in order to have your sins forgiven because you have to make um, sacrifices and, and there has to be a temple in order to do that. And so they've come up with you know, some creative ways over the years without a temple, but their longing is because they understand at their core of who they are and what they believe in Judaism that a temple is necessary to actually fulfill their law, that they, they desire nothing more than a temple. That's why when the Antichrist comes and he makes this peace treaty um, and, and finds a way finally you know, to, to build this temple that um, they're going to they're gonna buy it hook, line, and sinker. You know, and every president of the United States over the years has, has tried to be the one who thinks they're going to solve this problem in the Middle East and, and make a peace treaty with Israel, and nobody's been successful in doing it, and it won't happen until Antichrist comes. But that temple um, that, we, you know, we don't need or have a, a temple today because the Bible says your body is now what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God has given you the Holy Spirit. Um, but the temple that is going to be built, just real real quickly as we move on, this this is not God's temple, right? This is Satan's temple. It's not, you know, the, the, in, in Ezekiel, you, you can go kind of check it out. It's, it's wordy. It's long. It's about five, six chapters. But there's detailed instructions in the book of Ezekiel for a future temple. And the Jews have studied that thoroughly. And the temple that they're preparing for right now, the Temple Mount Institute in Israel that we talked about last week, that's preparing all the artifacts and doing those things, they're, they're not building Ezekiel's temple. They're like, we, it just doesn't make sense. It's, they, you know, what they're building and what they're preparing for, it should be because it's a futuristic temple prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. So what would make sense for the Jews is that if they would be building Ezekiel's temple and they went that direction and there's no way to build it because it's, it's, it's different and they don't understand it. And, and, and then, so they're building Solomon's temple. But that temple of Ezekiel, it's, 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 it's God's temple and it comes after for the thousand year tribulation or for the thousand year reign of Christ We'll see Ezekiel's temple. Now, heaven says there is no temple. It says in Revelation, right, that in heaven that there's no temple there because God is going to be with us just like it is today. But there will be that temporary Ezekiel's temple um, through the tribulation. All right, so in verse 
Number 12, or 13, it says, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and tenth of the city fell in the earthquake, and 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And so, um, you know, it's like in Pentecost, is in Jerusalem. And at Pentecost, Peter went out and preached, and 3,000 got saved. And then the Bible says the very next day or in that, in that season that 4,000 more were added to the church as Peter was preaching. And so, um, but, but here in this, in, this, in this demonic event that takes place, there's an earthquake and 7,000 people in Israel die as a result. And then in verse 14 it says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. Um, Revelation 8.13, remember that? It says, And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the remaining blast of the trumpets and the three angels were about to sound. So the book of Revelation um, in the judgments that are going to be poured out during the book of Revelation, during chapter 6 through 19, it's three groups of seven. We studied the seven seal judgments. And it was a scroll, and it had seven seals. And every time you broke a seal, there was a judgment that was poured out on planet Earth. The second set of seven is seven trumpet judgments, which we're studying now. And the third is going to, they're called the bowl judgments, or I think in your King James Version, it says vile um, judgments. The vials are the bowls. And so these three groups of seven. And after um, the, the fourth trumpet sounded, there was three remaining trumpets. The angel flies through, and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because these next three that are coming are going to trump. They're going to be way worse and way um, more of God's judgment and wrath in the last three to the point where, it, where this angel feels like he needs to pronounce over these last three judgments that they're worse than the others and this woe. And so woe, woe, woe. Now we have here in Revelation 11, back there in verse 14, where two of those have passed and, and, and one of them is these, these um, demons that come out of this bottomless pit. And the, the last one is about to come and about to sound. And again, there's this second warning, a second woe. Verse 14 is past. Behold, the third is coming. Probably the same angel who pronounced the woe in Revelation 8:13. And then it says, and then the seventh angel, everybody say the seventh, sounded. And there was a loud voice in heaven. And the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever um, two halves to that verse. Let's take the first half, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded. And I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because this is theology and doctrine, and I don't want to, it's going to kind of get twisted for some people easily. But the, one of the things that um, is taught is that the rapture is going to happen at the last trumpet. There's, there's, a, there's a reference to that in Corinthians, a last trumpet or a trumpet. And so they say, well, it's a last trumpet. And then they try to identify this spot in the tribulation as the last trumpet. Well, it never says last trumpet. It says the seventh trumpet. And then also I want to tell you, and I want to remind you of this as you go through and in your own theology and eschatology, and like I said, I don't want to lose you right now, but listen, this, these trumpets are being blown by angels. Yes or no? Yes. The, 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 the rapture is very, very clear who blows the trumpet for the rapture trumpet. And there's and it's, it's the Lord himself. I'm going to read it for you. For, uh, write this down. First Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself. Everybody say the Lord himself. Who, who is the Lord himself, by the way? Okay, we're good on that. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. 
not of angels, of God, the trumpet of God. I tease sometimes around, you know, here, our neighbors, that angels don't blow trumpets. Now, if they do blow trumpets, it's in the, the book of Revelation. When angels are blowing trumpets, or God blows the trumpet that we're looking for, right? And we ain't looking to know Trump to fix the world. We're looking for the trumpet of God, and we're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to solve our problems, not a politician, amen? So, again, again, I said, like, I don't want to lose anybody in that point. I just wanted to make it this... The, the, it's a straw hat again argument here. It just blows out of the water very easily. It's not the last trumpet of God. This is not the rapture. And again, the easy proof is you would have to say at this point that the people have not been appointed to wrath. And that's going to be a tough sale. Revelation 6. Look at, look at Revelation 6. That's the first chapter of the tribulation. Revelation 6, verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? God's wrath happens right in the beginning. We're going to see it again in this next chapter where it's going to say, this is God's wrath. Okay, so it's, we're, we're already, we're past the, the pre-wrath idea. And so we can't be here for that because we're not appointed to wrath. All right, really quickly, second half. Then the voice or the kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Somebody say amen. amen. Now say, what am I saying amen for? All right, I'll tell you, because this is a victory verse, right? What does that say? Read it. It says that, that the, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Hey, let me tell you something about God. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He wins in the end. You know, you can fight him. You don't like what's going on. I, that, that's good. But I think just common sense says, like, if I know, you know, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in, in L.A., and we... The, the track, uh, Hollywood Park, was close to there. And one of my friends was all into it. His dad was, like, professional gambler. And we are in high school. And so I go with Jeff sometimes to the track. And there was a time where, like, juniors in high school. And his dad called him. And he said, and this is crazy family say stuff, right? Like, he said, take everything you have, get to Hollywood Park, and put it on this horse. I'd like you to call from your dad, your junior in high school, and he tells you, and, and, you know, Jeff worked hard. He had side jobs. And so he goes to the bank. I mean, he borrows money, steals money. He, does that. he gets all the money he can. And he goes to Hollywood Park, and he puts it on that horse his dad, his dad told him to. No, that horse came in. The next week, he was driving a convertible around high school. True story. With the name of the horse on the, on the license plate. <laughs> but, you know, you live your life that way. You get, maybe you'll hit something like that and... You're going to lose some too, you know. But my point is if, if you're going to bet on a horse and you got a sure thing, are you going to go to the track and just pick a different horse or are you going to put your money on the sure thing? Jesus is the sure thing. Jesus is the one, you know, and at the end of the day, again, like this is why I encourage us. It doesn't matter like our, our eschatology, our timing, the way we unpack the book of Revelation. Those things are secondary. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, and, and the main thing is that we're going to be together with Jesus and he's going to win in the end. And I'm going to choose the winning team. And I want to be there. And I don't want to be, God says that I'm not appointed to wrath as a child of God. You know, this world says that, that oh, we're all just the children of God. And I know their intent. Their intent is innocent and their heart is, is well. But, but their, their theology is bad because we're not all children of God. The Bible doesn't say that. The, guy, the Bible says to those who believe, and to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, it has been given them a gift to become the child of God. And it's for believers. That, that, that distinction of being a child of God, 
oh, we're all just God's children. We're all just God's creation. God has created us all. He's given us all life. But to be a child of God, that's a choice that you make. And if you're a child of God, God's not going to let you go through wrath of the, of the tribulation, of the end times. He's going to take you from before that. You know, and you can prep. I, I, I'm not personally a prepper, but I'm not trying to put that on anybody. Get all the provisions you want, and, and, and it's wise. Maybe there's not going to be Bible stuff. Maybe there's just going to be an earthquake or just something happened, and having some food and some provisions is a good idea. But just don't be a prepper if you think you're prepping for what's going to happen in the last days or in the end times or that you're going you're gonna to survive this stuff with, you know, 500 pounds of beans and flour, 500 double-op buckshot. You're going to shoot a demon coming out of the abuso in the bottomless pit with a double-op buckshot? Probably not, right? And, and it's so much easier. It's so much simpler, too. We don't even got to store all that stuff. We just got to get our hearts and lives right with Jesus and go tell people he's coming and be ready and, 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 he, and he'll take us, you know? And so as we go on, it says, um, so, so again, the, the kingdoms of our Lord. So this is a victory verse. You remember that group um, we studied in Revelation and it says that they were under the altar and they were begging God, you know, God, when are you going to bring justice? God, when are you going to solve these problems? How many of you guys feel that way? You ever feel like that? You know, and, and not to be disrespectful, right, or, or irreverent towards God, but, but we say things like, God, when are you going to fix these things? You know, Ray was telling me a story. I think Ray stepped out now. Ray was one of our former military. And, and he was telling me a story that when he was in the, in the, in the he did four tours in, in, in Afghanistan. And he said that, that he was there during two regimes, uh, president regimes. And he said when the, when the president changed, their rules of engagement changed. And, and some of the, the, the changed rules of engagement in the second administration cost some people their lives because they couldn't protect themselves and defend themselves, you know. And, and so that stuff just enrages you when you hear it. It's murder. And you send these guys over there and then you, you don't allow them to protect themselves and our, our Americans are losing their lives because of your rules of engagement. And, and it's, it's difficult, right? It frustrates you. You hear things like that. You hear about all the things that are going on and, and we, get, we get frustrated. We get under it. That, and, and part of us does cry out and say, God, when are you going to fix these things? God, when are you going to change these things? And you know what God says? I love you. I love you. Like, all right, Lord, I know you love me. Guess what? I love Al-Qaeda. <laughs> You're like, really? I'll send them up to you if you want, Lord. I love, God loves them. God loves them. And there's a chance that, you know, you know where the fastest revival in the world is happening right now? In Iran. I've told you guys that. It's happening in Iran. And God is pouring out His Spirit upon people that, that, that are seeing Jesus in dreams and visions. And, you know, the amazing grace of God, the, the most impactful song in all world history is the song Amazing Grace. And, and it's for that reason that God's grace is amazing. And for a time. And as the world, none of this is God's plan. None of this is God's will. If we did what God's will was, what kind of world would we live in? Would we have these problems? You know, one of the things I, I kind of share with people, you can maybe use this. I don't know how effective it'll be, but, you know, listen to this. People that, that hate God or they don't understand it, well, ask them this. And, we, and we're not bound necessarily by the Ten Commandments today as, as according to the law of Moses, but if we just take the Ten Commandments as we have them in the Old Testament and everybody in our world functioned on the Ten Commandments, what kind of world would we live in? And, and three of them, I'll just take three of them. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. If you took lying, it would be like that movie from that one day where he couldn't lie. and Yeah, but the whole world was that way. 
and you couldn't steal from one another and nobody murdered? Oh, that's what the Word of God says. That would be terrible. Oh, God is so terrible. He's such a tyrant. We'd have a perfect nirvana world and just simply following three commandments that God's Word gives us. And, and, and yet it's not God's will the, what's going on in the world. And Satan is free, but God has a plan and he's going to fix these things. And the reason why he's, he's waiting is because there's people that need to get saved. There's people that God is waiting on to change their lives and, and get right. When, when did you guys get saved? Anybody want the Lord to come back like five minutes before that? Pretty glad he waited at least until you got saved, right? And now we're like, okay, Lord, come back right now. Like, I'm ready. Forget all them. But maybe there's somebody else out there that, that God's waiting on. You know, the Bible says in, in, in Romans chapter 11 about the rapture, that when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, that's when we go up. And that there's um, that the season we're in right now, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, this age, that, that there's like a, a time or there's a, there's a fulfillment of Gentiles. There's like a number God already has. He has God and he knows what the number is. He knows how many people exactly are going up in the rapture. And when that last person gets saved, the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled and we go up. Maybe it's you today. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you're that last person. Listen, do us all a favor, would you? <laughs> give, give your life to Jesus right now and get saved so we can all go home. No, but, you know, let, let's be on mission, right? Let's, let's be on mission. Let's, let's be a people that's on mission. We can all share next week. Um, uh, or as we get into chapter 12, we're going um, to get into witnessing and some things and how to witness and some practical um, evangelism, just encouragement as we go forward um, in that. we got to finish this. So um, turn to our, our... Actually, don't turn. Just hang out. I'll be right back. I'll read it to you. Isaiah 9.6. Now, this is a verse I'll probably be reading to you guys um, as we get close to Christmas. This is our Christmas verse every year. But it says in Isaiah 9.6, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. A child is born and given to us. Obviously, I'm talking about Jesus, right? This is an Old Testament prophecy of, come, of the Messiah, of Jesus, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his increase and of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Listen, God wins in the end. And this is the announcement here in Revelation 11. And all these souls and all these martyrs and all these people that have been crying out to God and they're starting to feel, which will we'll feel to that point where God's justice is come. And God is going to set things right. And so this is a victory. And they began to worship the Lord in verse 17 because of this feeling, because of this, this victory. And we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was who is and who was and who what and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned the nations were angry and your wrath has come okay so again second quote right there uh, revelation 6 16 and 17 the other mention of god's wrath here we see god's wrath god's wrath has come first thessalonians 5 9 we're not appointed to wrath and then in, and it says and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and his saints and to those who fear your name, small and great and destroy those who destroy the earth. And so this is a great victory. This is a time of rejoicing. It's happening in heaven and, and they're rejoicing because God is having justice. You know, the world wants that too. You know, the, a lot of atheist people, they, 
they they say, oh, you know, if, if God is so good, then, you know, and, and it's a hard question, right? If God is so good, then why do bad things happen? And, you know, and you, you want, you're praying for me, you want God to save me. Well, you stop, stop praying for me. What about that kid who's getting molested in his basement? Why don't you pray for him to get saved, you know, and hear things like that. And that God is this, because God doesn't exact justice. Well, you know, the same God, the same people, they hate the fact that in the Old Testament, God killed the Canaanites. And why did God kill the Canaanites? Because he was exacting his justice over, over a, you know, the Canaanites who were those type of people. And they, they were wicked, um, only continually and cancerous. And so God steps in and he wipes them out. And everybody cries, oh, that's so terrible. And then they're, the same people are crying that he won't do it today. But at some, degree, at some point, right, where does God draw the line of what he's going to step in? Instead, what he's done is he's poured his spirit out upon you. And he's given you free will. You know? Do you want the Holy Spirit to stop every evil and everything? Unfortunately, just because of love and because of free will, God's not going to do that. Where would he stop? I put some donuts out in the lobby for you guys this morning. They were left over from the men's ministry thing yesterday. But if you picked one up and you went to put it in your mouth, and God comes over and slides out, justice, no donuts for you. You know, like, there's, there's got to be a point where, you know, that, and, and I'm not trying to justify atrocities either and terrible things, but I want to tell you those things are not of God. And God doesn't approve of those things. And God doesn't want those things. And God has given us a free will and a free choice. And, and those things are difficult. But let's celebrate today what they're celebrating because God is going to set those things right. Amen? And God's going to heal those things. And as we go into the, the tribulation period, as we go into heaven, obviously, I'm sorry, not the tribulation, as we go into the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennium we call it, those things will be fixed. As we go into heaven beyond that, those things will be better. And in verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple of God and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, earthquakes, and great hail. All right, last verse and we're done. Um, Grace, do you want to come up and... Um, let's see. Oh, there she is. Okay, so um, come on up. But it says, hey, what do you guys find in verse 19? Look at verse 19 for me. Tell me what you see there. What stands out? A few of you said it already. Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is that thing that um, Indiana Jones went out looking after, and they opened it, and all the things came out, and you know it was kind of a big deal. No, the Ark of the Covenant is something that Moses designed and God built in the Old Testament. It was what went in the Holy of Holies. There were two cherubs or angels that sat on top that were built on top inlaid in gold. And you would take the blood of the sheep, and once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would sprinkle the blood of, of the sheep on the, the, the mercy seat, it was called. It would have been nasty and old and dried blood from every year they did it. And, and over the years, the Ark of the Covenant um, was, was in and out of Bible history as we go through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and David had it, and Solomon had it, and then they lost it to the Philistines, and then they got it back, and um, it's been a, a big deal because it disappeared through history. Um, the temple was attacked by the Babylonians. The temple was destroyed by Titus Vespasian, and we don't know what happened to the temple or the Ark of the Covenant. Has anybody seen any like documentaries or movies about where the Ark of the Covenant is? I think the last one I watched was the one where they say it's in uh, the Ethiopian monks have it. And um, that's fascinating, right? It has a fascinating twist to it. And it's interesting. The Jews also say they have the Ark of the Covenant. 
Um, my favorite one, though, and again, these are all stories, but this one is kind of cool. Um, I don't think it's true. I wish it was true. But the, there, there's, there's um, tunnels underneath the temple. And, and in the time of the rubble bell and in the time of the Babylonian um, destruction of the temple that the priests, the Levites, took the Ark of the Covenant to hide it and they, they ran it through these tunnels under um, the temple. Well, if, you, if you're familiar with, with, with Jerusalem, where the temple sits and where Jesus died on a cross is very close in proximity, probably within six, eight hundred yards, thousand yards as, as a bird flies. It's right there. And so that when Jesus died on a cross, that his blood ran down through the cracks and the tunnel where they placed and where they were hiding the Ark of the Covenant, that the blood of Jesus traveled through those cracks and dripped right onto the mercy seat for the final um, time. And just like the Lamb of Bloods and the Lamb who was slain and Jesus' blood washed away sins, that would be pretty cool, but pretty hard to prove. And because it says right here that the Ark of the Covenant is where? Where's it at, you guys? And the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark and his covenant and uh, the ark of the covenant was seen in his temple and there was lightnings, noising, thunders, earthquakes, and great hail. Let's stand together. Hey, I want to teach you guys, Grace and I, um, I want to teach you guys a, a benediction, okay? Um, your Bible's full of several benedictions and a benediction is a blessing and for us in Western culture, um, we don't have the, the idea of, of passing blessings on. We don't use it really that much, right? Like we say, um, but in Israel, it's, 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 there's a power in it. They mean it, and they believe that God has given them the ability to pass on blessings. So your Jewish friends, they're going to want to say a blessing over your life. I, I have people sometimes come, and they, they bring things, or they, they want me, and they say, Pastor, will you bless me? Pastor, will you bless this item? And because I don't really have that culture, I don't understand it. I feel nervous, like, who am I to bless your thing or bless you? But, but really, biblically and culturally, it's, it's good to have a, a belief that, that we do have the ability to bless. And the Jews, when you meet a Jew, if, if, if you have a Jewish family and you go to dinner at their house, their kids will come in. And they'll say, hey, I want you to meet Sally. And she's like seven, and, and Sally's going to be a doctor. And, and then they, they, they constantly are, are pronouncing blessing over her and, and affirming her of who she is and what she's going to be because they believe that God's given us this power. And, and again, in Israel, they, they'll give you this, the, the Shema and different things. And you don't hardly go anywhere where, where they don't give you the benediction that um, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, be gracious unto you. And, they'll, they'll, and when they pray it, it has meaning to them, that God is a part of that, and God's going to use that. And we don't, again, have that in our culture, but this song, it's a benediction. And it's to be sung as, as a blessing to each other. And so as we sing it, I just want to teach it to you. I'm going to do it in the weeks and months to come a little bit. But I, I want us to develop a little bit of this idea that we can bless each other. You guys feeling me or no? So I want to teach you this song today, and then we'll kind of develop the idea. But it's so cool. I'll tell you, it's so cool. We do it at the pastor's conference, and we sing it to each other as a blessing. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful. So let's learn the words to it. Let's get familiar with it. And then we'll see how God wants to use it in, uh, as we move forward. Oh, it's really simple. Two lines, and let's bless each other with it. 